Hey, everybody. We're here today with a very special podcast guest, Luis Antonio Martinez from Tijuana, Mexico. I'm really excited to have our special guest co-host here as well, Tiffany Perez, from episode 322 of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Tiffany runs the largest tattoo shop in New Jersey. And Tiffany, thank you for joining us again, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love this. <laughs> so Tiffany, if you can help us kick off the podcast and jump in with Luis about his background, and I'm going to correct myself because Luis, you go by Antonio, your middle name, and that's how we'll try to refer to the rest of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's okay. All right. Absolutely. All right. Let's get started. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What is your full name, your age? Where do you live? Well, my name is Luis Antonio Martinez. I've lived all my life here in Tijuana, Mexico, very close to the border to California, right next to the border, actually. Um, and my hometown is Playas de Tijuana, very close to the sea. That uh, translates as the beaches of Tijuana, but it's a small location. Um, that's what I call hometown. All my life. I'm 35 years old. I'm an accountant. Um, and right now I, I'm a partner at a local firm where we deal with um, any type of companies, private-owned, not-for-profits, uh, maquiladoras, industries, you name it. So from both Mexico and the U.S. So I'm a partner from the audit department. That's what I do, actually. And I have my family. I have two brothers, one sister. Um, my mom and dad already passed away. But here I am. So that's a little uh, a little bit about me. Um, I went to, to college, studied accountancy, um, high school, everything here in Tijuana. So I've been a, a very, you know, ever since I consider myself a very goal-oriented person, um, try to study. I have a master's degree in taxation also. I am a school teacher for postgraduates in tax and audit topics at the local university. And here I am. So just trying to uh, make up my story. And the the it all started when I contact uh, Tick Bootcamp from, from Instagram. Uh, I listen a lot of podcasts. Not all, but a lot of them, because, you know, when you're sick, you just try to find answers. And those answers do not come like in Google or something. You you want to learn how people deal with it and what they do or what they did feel better. And Tick Bootcamp appeared and Spotify appeared in Instagram. And when I uh, when I was told I was in remission and that it was pretty close to being cured. Um, just wanted to share my story because it was a very <laughs> uh, hard period for me. It was a whole year. But, you know, the doctors, the the nurses that see you, they, they just tell you, no, well, this is a long-term disease. You've been having this from... 10, 12 years before. And you you go like, but why did it come come up so spontaneously? And Tiffany mentioned 
the COVID factor. And the COVID factor, I think it was also for me the the spark that ignited all the the symptoms. So um, do you feel like before COVID you somewhat felt the symptoms of Lyme disease or it was like you got COVID, then all of a sudden all this weird flaring stuff started to happen with your body. And then that's when you decided to kind of take action and finding out what was wrong. That's a pretty good question because when I was uh, 20 year old, 21 years old, and when I entered the, the firm, which I worked, uh, it was my first job and I'm already a partner of my first job. Um, I started feeling very like they told me it's the burnout, the stress, a lot of fatigue and pretty run down each day. Uh, at one point, they told me it was anxiety draining my my energy and went to the doctor, told me, well, you're. Your heart palpitations, your your fatigue, everything points me that is anxiety. And I had at the moment I had pain in my ears, headaches, chest pain, stomach pain, a, a lot of uh, pretty vague symptoms. So the doctor said, "It's anxiety. Take this pill." I took the pill, kind of worked for like a little bit, and I moved on and. Whenever I felt run down, sick, uh, very fatigued, well, I was thinking, well, it's just the anxiety. It's anxiety, it's anxiety. And I coped for that with, for about 13 years. And as long as the time span went on, I kind of noticed that I was allergic to, to some foods, some drinks. Uh, I couldn't sleep very well restlessly totally restless sometimes um waking up too groggy with no appetite and all of a sudden you have uh, allergies in your ears and your nose you have sore throat every day doctors say well it's an infection well it's strep throat something like that take your antibiotics Antonio, real quick, I just want to ask a question here because it sounds like a lot of these symptoms were new when you yeah. first started getting sick, right? Yeah. So the fact that they were dismissed as anxiety, sudden onset anxiety, which seems out of the blue, right? I think we should be curious and ask the question, why did Antonio develop all of these physical symptoms and potentially psychological symptoms so late in life, but instead we were just choking you up as, hey, it's probably just anxiety, mental health, okay. because we don't know what's wrong, right? But okay. before we even get there, I want to I want to focus on your childhood because, you know, to see the contrast of who Antonio was as a kid, a healthy child versus when you first became symptomatic, can you describe for us what it was like growing up in Tijuana? Most of our guests are from the States. We've had a lot of international guests from Europe. You're, you know, probably, you know, our fifth guest or so from Mexico. But can you describe what that was like and what your childhood was like to give us some context here? Okay. Childhood in Mexico, you're totally dependent from your parents. So the the classic family in Mexico, it's very family oriented. You you grow up you grow up with your parents, with your cousins, with your uncles, very close to them. So growing up, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, my older brother, he has an advantage of seventeen years more than me. 
my other brother 16 and my sister 12. So I'm like the last kid of the family. So growing up, it was growing up with adults, you know. Um, I grew up uh, having a strong common sense because of all the, the communication I have with my family. <clears throat> uh, not every every town in Tijuana is the same. I grew up in a middle class neighborhood where you had all the services, schools, churches, hospitals close by. So it was a well-nurtured environment for me. I was a healthy kid. I was a smart kid at school. I was a loved kid, you know? So all of those factors contribute so to what you are or what you can reach or what you can develop later. But uh, sickness is not in the loop when you have a, a normal environment, a normal family environment. Sickness appears when my mom is diagnosed with, with cancer. And that's when things got uh, escalated stress-wise with me. And linking this with your question, the constant is stress. Stress from family situations, stress from sickness. And that made me very aware for my symptoms. I was like 16 years old when my mom passed away. And ever since I was like, Oh, this symptom, I have this. Oh, this symptom, I might have this. And you create a health anxiety concept within you. And you you become very vigilant of the symptoms. You think you're going to die. You think you're going to have something serious. Because all of this is like childhood uh, trauma. Having a, a, a strong, the strong news that your mom's possibly going to die, that's very sick, that you can't do anything at, at such a young age, you develop that health anxiety. That's one point. The other one, it's my dad passes away when I'm, when I'm 24. So you don't understand that it's natural when you have parents that are older than your friends, parents, because I'm the last one of the family with a gap of 17 years from the first brother to the last brother. And you don't understand that health is going to be an issue. You're not mature enough. And that that adds to their, your everyday stress levels. When I exit college and start working at the firm, uh, are... Antonio, can I interrupt you with it? I'm sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt, but yeah. before, so you talked about exiting college and going to work for the firm, but you mentioned a couple of things that I want to piece together. Okay. You, you mentioned COVID, right? The COVID relationship to making you feel worse and you kind of re you related to Tiffany in that regard. But then you also said when you were 16, you started to have some symptoms and you started to think the worst because your mom was sick and yeah. you know, her cancer diagnosis triggered you then. And then you mentioned when your dad died when you were 24, that that was another stressor. So do you think that when you were 16 and you first became symptomatic, you know, physically and potentially 
you know, emotionally that these were symptoms of Lyme disease that your body was managing up until your diagnosis in your thirties? Or do you think this, do you think it was all connected? I guess is the question I'm asking. I know that for sure right now. Okay. It was probably that, that it was probably Lyme from the start. But your doctor said, hey, it's just depression, maybe anxiety, because yeah. your mom's got cancer. What, what kid wouldn't be depressed? What kid wouldn't develop health anxiety because your mom has cancer, right? Yeah. And then that just that just progressed and you got worse and worse yeah. and worse and you were written yeah. off, correct? Okay. I'm trying yeah. to piece it together in my head. Yeah. Apologies. So you, you were I talking was, about the transition there, right? Yeah. I was just trying to, to get you all of the context because yeah. that those uh you know, those events in my life gave the doctors a direction. Oh, the kid's stressed. He has a lot of things going on. He might just as well get well with a pill. He must go to therapy. And you know what? None of those solutions seem to work 100%. They help to understand other things in my life, but did not help the symptoms. So... It did was, you believe that you were, did you believe that it was purely psychological at that time? How did you feel, Antonio, inside? Did you believe that there was something else or did you accept the fact that maybe it was just anxiety from everything going on in life? I felt it was something else because I felt like if I was sick, like I had the flu, I had like stomach problems, strep throat, uh, you know, when you, you get this, uh, the whole body, your pain and, and you don't want to get out of bed and. And it suddenly resolves in like three days and you're better without medication. And you go ahead with your life and you have another episode where your your chest hurts and you're you have a lot of headaches and you know what's going on? There must be an answer. I must be wrong. I, I must have something inside me. And it was like 15, 13, I don't know exactly right now, but it was a lot of time thinking it was just anxiety because they say anxiety can trigger stress. Stress can trigger illness. Your immune system runs down and and you have to take vitamins. You have to get a healthy lifestyle, do exercise, you know, you name it. And it all matches with the with that direction. Doctors, I think, are trained to see what the patient has and if no symptoms match to a specific uh, checklist of an illness, they will just say, it's anxiety. It's mental. It's all in your head. But that compartmentaliz compartmentalization, I think, is dangerous because having a black and white approach to health, is it a physical ailment? Is it something that is a has a pathogenic root cause versus is it just anxiety? I think is dangerous. And we've had a lot of neuropsychiatrists on here who said, neuropsychologists, I should say, and they've all said that they believe most, if not all, psychological conditions have some sort of underlying pathogenic yeah. root cause, right? And yeah. how many people in this world today are diagnosed with crippling anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, you know, even, even neurodegenerative diseases like those, right? And they end up having a underlying Lyme infection or Bartonella infection or Borrelia multi-infection. We're seeing this more and more over the last couple of years. So, but as a kid, look, you're 16 years old. They're telling you, you have a psychological condition. You're like, Hey, I'll, I'll look at that. But underneath it all, you knew there was something else going on is what I'm hearing. So uh, I'm just kind of getting frustrated for you as a young kid, just listening to the doctors and, you know, here you are, it took you almost a decade or two to get diagnosed. But so, uh, 
you know, at this point, you just kind of progress, right? You mentioned earlier that you were going from college, transitioning into the workforce. So yeah. at this point, was your, how was your health? You know, now you're in your college years, transferring to your, you know, your professional life. Are you still fighting illness and thinking, you know, like, hey, there's something going on? Are you seeing a therapist? What's going on in your health there? Well, um, let me catch up uh, the, the last, uh, from the last health uh, topic. One doctor said, well, you have strep throat. I was like 20 years, 19 years old at the time. You have strep throat. Take your antibiotics. And I had like three years very well. No symptoms. I now know that it was probably Lyme. Highly possible. But those three years, I entered the workforce, no problems. At the time I was 23 or trying almost 24, I had my first full-blown panic attack. Went to the doctor, to the ER. I think I'm going to die. Pounding chest, feeling very sick, very uh, faint. Oh, anxiety. That's anxiety, you know? You're having high levels of stress at work. I work at the audit department, and as an accountant, audit department, it's one of the highest stress departments anywhere in the world. You have deadlines, you have uh, to work with a team, you, you know, it's 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 a high load of work. So doctors say, it's very probably you have anxiety, you don't have anything else. But, uh, you know, if I, I feel sick, I have like, uh, my whole body hurts as if I had the flu. No, it's just anxiety, your immune system is going to run down. Okay, that's okay. Four years later, I have another period uh, of a strep throat infection. They give me antibiotics. And I started to feel good like three years more. And it was like an on and off, on and off, on and off with the strep throat. All my life, I <laughs> I think I've gotten 200 times strep throat. I don't know. And all of a sudden, um, as time went by, I managed the anxiety concept. Oh, you're gonna you're feeling run down. You're feeling sick. You're feeling that you're gonna faint, that you're very fatigued. Take your anxiety drops or your anxiety pills. And it somehow worked, not at 100 percent but it, it was a lot of time me trying to manage it with psychologic, psychiatric approaches. It was not the answer. I felt it was not the answer. I felt really felt that it was something going on. And this takes me like a fast forward to COVID. 2022. I had COVID on January 2022. Sickness went by. Didn't have like the big symptoms, just cough. Stayed in bed like for like three days. A lot of fear because you know, it's a new illness, you know, you don't know what's going to, when, what's going to happen. And five months later, uh, at the time I was having a high workload. Those five months were very hard on, on me. And in May, from January to May, I have a very, very strong headache. Like never before I thought I was having a like a uh, stroke, I was thinking the worst. 
the pain was like an ice pick uh pain thunderclap pain i don't know what's the the actual definition what it was very intense and went away in seconds but in those seconds you think the worst you think you're going to die you think that you you have to go to the er went to the er took my vital signs you're okay you don't have anything it's just stress making all these things you have a lot of tension your nerves and your uh, cervical spine probably because of the stress the muscles you know okay it's okay i'm gonna try to re relax pain comes back two hours later after i went of the of the of the er go back to the hospital hey pain is already something's wrong no you have nothing but for your <laughs> they tell me if you want to be very cool about it take an mri Went to the MRI, comes up clean, nothing in it. And doctors say, see, it's stress. You don't have anything inside. And I'm like, this is this is, ain't normal. And uh, and with all the media and the information, misinformation of COVID and and strong indicators, you see that people with COVID started getting these headaches when they got vaccinated. And it correlates because it was two weeks after my third shot of, of, of a, a vaccine. And most weird symptoms started to arrive. I could not be, my blood pressure went up high as hell one day. Felt so bad didn't have the, the strength to drive to the ER. My brother took me and they tell me, well, you're overweight. <laughs> Your blood pressure is very high, not that high for like severe danger, but you got to look out for your weight. I was like, okay, okay. I'll try to eat better, eat better, relax. And they told me, you must see a cardiologist because blood pressure uh makes a lot of strain on your heart we must be sure that you don't have any underlying conditions went to a cardi cardiologist took uh an echocard uh how do you say the had a lot of tests but the the one that measures your beat and your sinus rhythm ekg uh, yeah the ekg ekg yeah had one of those and the cardiologist says well it appears you have some kind of first grade block in it, but nothing to worry about. You just have to be vigilant and have a healthy lifestyle. You don't have anything. And as the next day, tachycardia starts to appear. Like, and this is all new, correct? Yeah, all this new. Blowing my mind. All of these new symptoms, and up, oh, you're just you're anxious, right? And in, it wasn't a, like you were an anxious in a child. Weeks, uh, period. Yeah. And tachycardia, headaches, uh, faintness, fatigue, doesn't make sense. I must have something very, very strong in me. Cardiologist, everything's okay. Your imaging from your heart, it's okay. The, the test, the ultrasounds and the holter test, holter test, they're all okay. You don't have anything, you have stress. And I'm like, oh, this is not stress. So 
went out of the hospital, blood pressure spikes again. Go back to the hospital. No, you don't have anything. You have to go home and rest. And I was like dying in fear. I thought I was going to die that, that, that day. And my brother took me back to, to, to my house. And, and I was very afraid because I was thinking I might have a heart attack pretty soon, but nothing of it. As months went by, new symptoms started to appear. One of those was tingling, a lot of tingling. My legs, my arms, my face. Went to a uh, neurologist. Neurologist says, you don't have anything, you have stress. And I was like, well, okay. New symptoms appear. POTS, dysautonomia. Uh, because I, I wasn't uh, very sure about the first cardiologist, I started seeing more doctors, another cardiologist, and another, and another. So between- Can I ask a question about that, Antonio? Yeah. Because the theme of you're doing this, you know, this is all anxiety, with POTS, that's an autonomic nervous system dysregulation. And what that really means is you don't control it. Your yeah. mind doesn't control it. That's something that your your body does automatically and you don't have to put brain power into. And it's basically a basic human function to survive. And now you're having a dysregulation of a function you can't control. So I wonder at this point, did they start to think, hmm, maybe it's not just anxiety? What were the doctors? Because you know, you're seeing okay. many at this point. Yeah. You're going from doctor to doctor to doctor. Yeah. Was this yeah. a, a changing point in their view towards your health? I was seeing at a time different spe specialists. I was seeing neurologists. I was seeing cardiologists. I was seeing an endocrinologist. A lot of things happening at the same time. So one doctor uh, said, well, if it's your headache coming from the back of your neck, you should see, you should take um, a cervical MRI. As I was having my cervical MRI, I started feeling very sick, very fatigued. Think I was going to die. The the facility was very close to the office. I come round like lightning to the office. See my partners. One of my partners says, "Well, uh, a relative of mine is a cardiologist. You want to see them right right now?" I was like, "Yeah." Went to this cardiologist, and you know, it was the only one I felt believed in me <laughs> because he had me at his office like two hours examining my pulse in my legs in my arms my blood pressure taking um when i was standing up standing down if i was laying flat and he told me you know what heart wise you're you're okay 100 percent, no doubt about it but i'm not the specialist you need to see i cannot diagnose dysautonomia without a tilt table test you have to see another cardiologist who specializes in electrophysiology. So I made an appointment with the, the other cardiologist and got a positive tilt table test. Came back to the, the, first, the, the first guy that told me that, and he said, well, you have POTS. You got to take a beta blocker. You got to drink more liquids. You got to exercise more. And I was like, well... It's probably related 
with the stress, with the anxiety. And he said, no, this is like a nervous system thing. You probably had it, probably, he couldn't assure it, but you probably had it since you were a kid. But somehow it appeared right now at a period of your life when you're so stressed. And I was like, well, let's take the treatment, hope for the better, try to feel better. And when I got the POTS diagnosis, it was very hard on me because at the time I was, I felt nobody could help me like pretty hard psychologically. Uh, I was thinking I'm going to die. There's no medication. There's no treatment for it. And was having a very, very bad time. So my brother told me, you know what? <laughs> you can come to my house. You can stay at my house until you feel better. So I went to his house and lived there for about a month and a half, I think. And I couldn't even have breakfast. Couldn't make my own breakfast. Couldn't be standing up, feeling weak all day. So what were the other symptoms? Obviously, POTS is, is a, you know, nervous system dys dysregulation with blood pressure. So you can get lightheaded and faint yeah. potentially and you're weak. But I think other symptoms you described earlier were not really related to POTS. So were you experiencing oh, yeah. other symptoms that weren't related? And if so, what were, you, what were there, your doctors there, there saying is, about those, right? There is an interesting symptom, hypoglycemia. I'm not a diabetic. And blood sugar dropped once on me. Uh, I crossed to San Diego. San Diego is very close to the border. It's very common for Tijuana residents to go to the U.S. and buy stuff, uh, uh, your groceries, clothes, anything. So I crossed the border and went to Costco and I was having my groceries in my cart and I started feeling very, very hot, a lot of sweat, a lot of, and feeling really faint. So my dad was a diabetic and ever since I had on hand by miracle a glucometer in my car. Well, blood sugar dropped 49 to 49. And immediately I had a, like a piece of bread and felt so anxious and recovered from that. And I was like, whoa, I never had anything like that. This must be related to the POTS. Did a little research. It was related to the POTS. <laughs> and tried to eat better, exercise, what doctors said, but it didn't make any significant uh, improvement. So two weeks later, I, start, I started feeling tingling in my hands, in my arms, in my legs, like electric shocks. So I went to the neurologist and he told me, well, you don't have any signs of a critical illness. It seems to me you have stress like a lot of stress, you should see a psychiatrist. And I was like, well, if it's psychological, I must relax. But this was the first time you were told that, correct? This is now yeah. probably the billionth time you've been told that. It was like the 15th time I was told it was, it was stress in a two-month period. So, But you knew there was more, but you yeah. recognized that the yeah. stress was a component to it. So you embraced the help of a psychiatrist which probably indirectly helped you 
be able to manage so long without becoming crippled, right? Completely like debilitated yeah. from the illness. So I recognize the fact that mental health support will make the recovery easier for somebody who's treating Lyme and also make the symptoms potentially less because as we can calm our minds, we can we can calm our nervous system and we allow our bodies to heal more. And if we can sleep better, we heal better when we sleep and our immune system is stronger when we sleep. So there's a lot of indirect effects there, but I almost feel like that was doing a disservice to you because you were accepting that, recognizing the value, but you weren't peeling back that layer to get to the root cause, right? Is that, is that really yeah. where you're at at this point? Yeah, I'm at that point. No answers, no improvements. Psychologically, I was beat up. I thought I was going to die, that it was no cure for it. And you start thinking what's going, what's going to happen at work, what's going to happen with my family, what's going to happen with my relationship. You start having all those doubts in you and you try to get out of them and you start to find answers. And the closest uh, reference you have for answer, it's Google. <laughs> so Google tells you, well, there's nothing much to do with pots. You have to drink water. And you feel like, well, am I going to live all my life with this? And you start thinking the worst. And symptoms keep appearing. A lot of chest pain, tingling, weakness, numbness in your legs. Neurologists say, you don't have anything. What's going on? you start to feel desperate, very desperate. Mexico, Mexico, it's like a third world country. You don't have like the best attention in Tijuana. You only have it in three cities, which are Mexico City, Monterey, and Guadalajara. That's where the top doctors are, where the top hospitals, where, where the top research is. It's very far from where I live. I live in San Diego. I try to find an appointment with a doctor in San Diego at UCSD, got the appointment with Dr. Pam Top, but it was canceled several times because of the high volume. And I was like, I told the assistant, Why, what's with the high volume with cases of POTS? And she tells me, well, after COVID, we started having a lot of patients go by with this condition. It's very busy right now. We, do, we can't handle the amount of patients. So please be patient <laughs> and i'm like okay i'm gonna be patient and symptoms keep appearing at one time i felt an electric shock in my leg and i'm like what's that couldn't move my foot go to another doctor uh i don't know what's the name of this in english but he looks your your arms, your legs, trauma, traumatologist, I think. Okay. And he tells me, well, I think you have a problem with sciatica. You must have an MRI of your uh, of your spine, your, cer your cervical, your dorsal, and your lumbar spine. I have two herniations. I, ha I don't have two discs at my lumbar spine. I think it's L4 and L5. And he told me, your electric shocks come from this. And why I bring it to, to, the, to our discussion, it's because at the time, my girlfriend sends me like a post, an Instagram post of a guy in Monterrey, a uh, younger guy than me, that was being treated with Lyme. And this guy also had like two discs of its vertebrae 
like worn out, just like me. And I'm starting to, to feel I have Lyme. Well, Did you hear about Lyme before this? Was Lyme like was Lyme on your radar prior to no, this? Never. Okay. I knew it, it existed because one of my partners was bitten by a tick. And he got diagnosed with rickettsiosis. Yeah. Yeah. He plays golf and a tick bit him. And he saw the tick in his arm or his neck. I don't, I don't remember. And he was the first person I heard the, the term rickettsiosis or Lyme. But that was like years ago. And when I see this Instagram post with a guy that his spine was being uh, like eaten by something, I was starting to get a little more paranoid about it. I said, it must be probably Lyme. So um, I make an appointment with an infectologist and, he's, and he tells me, ha, Tijuana doesn't have Lyme. That's over in Lyme, Connecticut. It's pretty... What year was this? 2022. So this is extremely recent. Yeah, yeah. First symptoms, May 2022. And from May to June, a lot of symptoms. From June to September, a lot of symptoms. So infectologist was like one of the last uh, doctors I've seen. But Antonio, I would argue that your symptoms began when you were 16 and you managed them until you were 33 yeah. in May of 2022. And that's when you got really sick in May of 2022, yeah. correct? May okay. of 2022. Yep. I was like seriously sick in 2022. So I felt like a lot of new symptoms, you know, no strep throat, no, uh, no headaches like the ones with the flu, nothing about it. But these were totally new to me. So infectologist says there's no way it could be Lyme. But I have a PCR testing unit here. You can take your sample here. Want to take it? I was like, yeah. Test come back negative. Is an infectologist the same as like an infectious disease doctor here in the yeah. States? So they want yeah, the yeah, same? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, I, I didn't know how to translate. So, sorry. But, you but it's an infectious, infectious disease uh, specialist. So... He tells me, negative, nothing to worry about. You have stress. Not like, that they're 40 to 50% accurate and clinical diagnoses work best when it comes to Lyme disease. But if the doctor didn't even believe Lyme existed in Mexico, then I yeah. wouldn't expect him to know that about the testing. Yeah. And a lot of doctors deny Lyme exists here in Mexico. Uh, we have uh, Mexicali, which is another city, uh, like 200 kilometers from here very close, that's known in the country to be very, to have very high cases of rickettsiosis because this town uh, has a lot of um, agricultural and uh, how do you say cattle and all the, I don't know how to translate it. Um, like farming? Farming, yeah. Farming community, right? A lot of farming communities. So rickettsiosis is very common in there. And with that uh, uh, information, they still deny Lyme is a threat in here where I live. And in general, in Mexico. Um, so at the time when I went to the infectious disease uh, specialist, new symptoms appeared. My eye, like 
my, they say it's ptosis, I think, the term. My eye, like, droop. My... I like Bell's palsy, like, like Bell's facial, palsy, yeah. facial paralysis. Yeah, yeah okay. facial paralysis. And I started to be very scared about that because facial paralysis is one of the symptoms of a stroke. And, and I was like, well, the headaches, the fatigue, the Bell's palsy, there must be a tumor in there, a small tumor, something about it, or an aneurysm or a possible stroke, a blockage. There must be something. So I went to a neurosurgeon and he told me, you got to get another MRI. I had like four head MRIs in a seven month period, all came back clean. And he says, well, from my point of view, you have stress again. It was the constant. And I was like starting to get mad at the doctors because how do you say it's just stress because you don't know how to approach the symptoms. And this is after, this is now like we're deep into COVID. We're at the, you know, mid to end of 2022 when we have a better understanding of COVID and persistent, you know, persistent symptoms after an infection with COVID, a viral infection, persistent infections after a bacterial infection like Lyme disease. And yet they're still saying, hey, it must just be stress when a lot of the symptoms you're exhibiting overlap with COVID too, right? I mean, even even POTS is something we see in the COVID community. There's so much overlap there. So I'm very surprised to hear that they weren't more open-minded to this, you know, in in 2022. And I just want to share with you, I, I just pulled up a Washington Post article talking about, you know, ticks in Mexico. And this is, again, here in the States, Washington Post saying that the none of the doctors in the rural community along Mexico's Pacific coast recognized the warning signs of one of the most lethal infectious diseases in America, in the Americas from a tick Rocky mountain spotted fever. And there were several people who passed away from it because doctors simply couldn't identify it. And, you know, Rocky mountain spotted fever can be fatal in many cases. So it's, this is proof positive here about multiple tick-borne infections in Mexico, but yet your doctors were simply denying that ticks even existed and Lyme existed or, or any tick-borne disease existed there. So that's very disappointing to hear. And, you know, we're talking about of the top doctors in my community, very respected doctors, and uh, they're denying it. They do a lot of congresses and symposiums and everything, and they're denying it. They deny Lyme exists. They deny that an infection exists. On a basis that the literature, medical literature in Mexico, doesn't include that disease. They're denying it because of ignorance. <laughs> you know, it's very, very, very strange, that phenomenon. But I've I've heard in your podcast that a lot of patients also face the same thing. Doctors that deny it. Yeah, Antonio, living in New York, where I'm from, where Lyme disease is extremely prevalent. And I can tell you that if I'm in a, if I'm at a gathering of 20 people, probably if I said, hey, has anybody in here had Lyme disease? Probably half of them would say yes. And if I said, does anybody know anybody who suffered greatly from Lyme disease? Probably all of them would say yes. But yet I went through many years, same situation as you, being told I'm just anxious, being told the MRIs are clean. We think you have a brain tumor. No, you don't. You know, I mean, so much of what you're describing, I went through. So it's it's unfortunate that in all parts of the country, in, in America and in all parts of the world that we're still going through this. But 
The one interesting part is I'm looking at an article right now from the National Institute of Health, the, you know, the U.S. federal government, where they're, they're, I mean, the, the intro discussion here is Mexico is a highly diverse country where ticks and tick-borne diseases, TBDs, directly impact the health of humans and domestic and wild animals. And they go into the specific types of ticks and the diseases they transmit that are most commonly found in Mexico, but yet your country and these leading doctors are still saying they don't exist, right? And that's, that's a weird contrast between our two countries. Yeah. Yeah, they say don't exist. Well, moving forward, um, I start feeling. I start then to feel a lot worse. My legs start to get numb. Go back to the neurologist, and he tells me, "You know what? Um, you don't have any symptoms that relate the tingling in your hand, the uh, the numbness in your leg, your belt's palsy." Don't relate at all. They are neurological conditions, but they don't present as an illness altogether. So we must be uh, vigilant for multiple sclerosis. And when he gave me that news, I was lost. Very sad. Couldn't go to work. And... Do you One stop more. working at this point? You 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 no. no longer able to work. No no no. Fortunately, my my partners were very supportive of it, and I'm very grateful for being um, at a firm that valued my service. They support me in any way they could. Uh, I missed like three months of work, and they always said to me, "Anything you need." Don't worry about work right now. You must focus on your health. And it was, you know, not everyone has the that opportunity in life. In life. They gave it to me. And I'm very grateful about it. Um, uh, when they tell me it was multiple sclerosis, one day I came to the office in the morning. Uh, didn't want to be at home. And talked to my partner. And he said, what's going on? Have you been? Well, I just got news from the doctor that I have to be vigilant, had to have uh, periodic MRIs to look for multiple sclerosis. And after it, uh, the next day, um, I come over to the office. And when I left the, the, the day before, my partner spoke to his brother because uh, their brothers, their partners also. And the next day, his brother comes to me and says, you know what? You should go to this doctor. You have Lyme disease. Hmm. And I was like, no, I, I don't have Lyme disease. I already had a PCR test. No. Lyme disease doesn't appear in tests. You must go to a dark field test to find the bacteria in a microscope. The and dark field microscopy, right? So basically yeah. using a dark field technology under a microscope to actually see the live bacteria, right? That's yeah. that's the approach? Yeah, and he told me, you gotta go with this doctor. I, may, I already made you an appointment. The doctor's fully booked for months, but I managed to make you an appointment. It's tomorrow, 11.30. 
Okay. You can get you can get an appointment that quick in Mexico. We have to wait, you know, no. weeks if not months here in the states to get a specialist. Not with that doctor. <laughs> not, the, the thing is, the doctor is uh, made very good acquaintance of. No, it's not an acquaintance. Uh, it's a friend. I think it's a friend of my partner, and he managed to get me uh, a quick appointment. It's Doctor Coltara. He's very heard of in the states, and that's the reason I wrote to you because I know a lot of people try to get uh, feedback from treatment here in Tijuana and went with them and he started. We are not doctors like the rest of the doctors. We're different here. We look in your needs, how you feel, how you were feeling when you first got sick this year. And I was like, I had a lot of stress from work. And he told me, did you have COVID? Yes. Okay. He told me, you have stage three line. And I was like. Was that clinical before he even looked at your blood? He only looked at me because I had my Bell's palsy. I was feeling very weak, yellow, you know. You're starting to get neurological symptoms. So he told me. You had like stage three, you probably have more than 12 years with the disease. And I asked, why didn't uh, the disease manifest itself before? He told me your immune system manages to keep it at bay. And COVID strikes, your immune system, the priority is COVID. Lyme's not a priority. So Lyme thrives on your system and you start getting symptoms after. And he told me, I'm going to take a sample of your blood, put it on, under the microscope, and we're going to find the bacteria. And for like 30 minutes, the doctor and his son also... Was it uh, three or 30? I'm sorry. 30 minutes. 30, okay. Managed to find Lyme, Bartonella, and the, the co-infection. And he told me, you have to take three-month course of antibiotics to start we're talking this was in december this past december of this 22 past december 2022 so did he did he provide you any photos we have had some doctors who provide patients with photos of the lyme and bartonella etc under the microscope yeah yeah i have them i think i have them right here actually Hey, Antonio, can you can you email them over and we'll put them in the show notes? Our, our listeners love to see, you know, visual aids. So if you're comfortable emailing them over, we can actually share them on the show notes and link them out to all the photos. Because it's really cool to see. Not, I mean, it's also scary, but it's it's interesting to see these spirochetes. And, you know, the Bartonella is a is a different type of, of pathogen. But to see that under the microscope is, I think, really powerful to see that imagery. Yeah, yeah. And before I go on for this, because this starts like the part of the recovery section of my story i just want to tell that from may to december it was like hell health wise mental wise everything you know everything falls down it's a very expensive disease to get diagnosed in mexico do you have insurance? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with how the healthcare system is there. Is is this all covered through insurance? Is this something you're paying out of okay. pocket for? Because you saw a lot of doctors that you went through. Um, I saw like 18 doctors, all specialists. 
and the health system in Mexico works like you have public insurance, like social security insurance, or a private insurance. I had both, but I didn't go to the public one because, as you know, appointments, months and months and months. The private uh, um, insurance only works when you have to get into the hospital and stay there, like for a real serious illness, heart attacks, cancer, you know, you name it. You have to enter the hospital. So everything for Lyme here in Mexico, it's out of pocket, everything. So I fortunately had the means to get my vitamins, get my medicine, get my treatments, pay the doctors. But I know not everybody in Mexico has the same opportunities as I do. So I value now my privileged uh, position where I, where I was at when I first got sick. I must tell you, if you live in Mexico, it's a very expensive disease. If you don't have the money to get your vitamins, your, your medicine, everything, because it's all out of pocket. Yeah, Antonio, we've had guests in the past tell us that they've had to source their medication from around the globe to get it in an affordable manner to, to be able to treat. You know, you'd be shocked at how many people can, can find ways of getting antibiotics, herbs, things like that from countries in Europe and South America and Canada, and then finding the most appropriate ways to get it to be able to treat, otherwise they couldn't afford it, right? So I think this is really a global problem we hear from every guest we interview from every part of the world that treatment is just ridiculously expensive. If you go beyond the traditional, you know, what you're going to get from a doctor, short course of treatment, it, it adds up pretty significantly. Yeah. And, and when the doctor told me, you, you got to take three months antibiotic treatment just for starters, he told me, we have to evaluate you each month. And I was like, well, okay, the doctor says this. So I'm very skeptical of everything. I'm a very skeptical person. And went back to the infectious disease specialist and told him, well, I was with this doctor. He told me I had Lyme. He saw my my blood in a microscope, found the bacteria with Bartonella. And he was like, oh, no, that's pure quackery. How is it quackery if you're seeing the bacteria under a microscope and you literally can visualize the spirochete? You know, what, what did he did he go into detail? Because it blows my mind that when you, you no. have photographic evidence that is still denied. No, he denied it. He told me that it was quackery. So I was like, well, if it's quackery, how do we make a medical approach of it? You know, send me to get tests. He told me, well, you need to get an antibody test. Okay, that's easy to get here in Tijuana. The first antibody, antibody test, the Borrelian Bartonella antibodies, it's, it's easy to get. And if that comes back positive, and he told me, which it won't, you must confirm it with a Lyme blood or a Western blood test. So this but, is a traditional two-tier testing, right? Like yeah. We call it the ELISA, which is like the screening yeah. test, and then the Western blot, which is yeah, the yeah. follow-up, right? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And he told me, the only thing is that Western blood tests are not uh, every time available in Tijuana. 
But he told me, don't worry, you're going to come back negative. What does that mean? Uh, can you clarify that? But that they're always not available in Tijuana? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Yeah, not all labs make the Western blood test for Lyme here. Oh, so they have to send it, they have to draw your blood and send it to a specialty lab, yeah. basically. So it's and extra work to send it to a specialized lab that'll actually do the antibody test yeah. for Lyme disease, yeah, yeah. right? Okay, gotcha. In, a, in, a, in another city, so uh, a bigger okay. city or something like that. So went to the to the lab uh with my with the order for antibody and the ELISA test, and they told me uh it's an outsourced test, it's gonna take 15 or 20 days to to get uh results. I was like, well, okay, let's do it. It was December 13th, I, I remember. And on December 24th, uh, I got the the lab's answer and it was positive for life. On Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. Oh man. And what a what was... a mixed bag of emotions. Like you must yeah. be, finally I know what's been plaguing me for decades and then also like oh crap i have lyme disease right yeah. and tell us your tell us your reaction to that like on christmas yeah. Eve, all days right when i when i when i got the news i burst tears of happiness and told my sister i have lyme disease i find i finally have answers for it and he and she told me you're gonna get better you're gonna get cured you're gonna get treatment for 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 the first time. And I was like, yeah, but I have to confirm the test. How to confirm the test in Tijuana? Don't ask me, I managed to get a Western blood test in San Diego. Because as a Mexican, you cannot uh, request a test in San Diego. So there was this uh, like, uh, I don't know if it's uh, like an association or something that helped people that don't have insurance in the US and help you to get the lab order. So I went in January and had uh, my blood drawn and results were took like five days, the line blood, it comes back positive. And I was happy. You know, if you battle for your life for months, you, you think you're going to die. You start to think you're going to get ALS, sclerosis, multiple sclerosis, uh, Alzheimer, Parkinson's, all of, all of the major league <laughs> uh, illnesses. And they tell you it's Lyme. You, you say, well, there's hope. I can get treatment now. So I got my results went back to the infectious disease specialist and told him, I have Lyme. The tests are positive. And he goes silent, silent, totally silent, sees a test and tells me, well, this is it. And he tells me, I have some questions for you. Have you traveled? Yes. How many countries? What does it matter? <laughs> Uh, did you stay on a farm or something? No. How did you contact uh, a tick? And since ticks are very prevalent here in Baja, Mexico, a lot of dogs, a lot of pets have ticks on them. And one of my pets, when I was like 
12, 13 years old, had ticks. And I managed to take the ticks out of my dog or touch the ticks out of my dog. I think that was the contact. Never had the rash, never. But I think that I, that I auto-inoculate auto myself with that. Um, but Antonio, you don't, you know, you may not even remember the contact you had with the tick. I mean, again, there are ticks everywhere on Long Island mm -hmm. and I didn't really appreciate the risks of ticks. And therefore I can't even tell you one tick bite. I remember before getting diagnosed with chronic Lyme and being debilitated. Right. So I know I've been bit countless times, but I just never was aware of it. These ticks have properties to go hidden on our bodies. They, you don't feel them when they're crawling on you and they bite you. They, they inject an, an antihistamine. So you don't itch. They inject a numbing agent. So you don't even feel it, right? They have all these things. They inject a blood thinner. So it, it keeps your blood flow coming. So you, your body doesn't clot up the blood. So they're really stealthy, these ticks. So I wonder if maybe your dogs, maybe just you being out and about, you know, maybe you've been bitten numerous times and you don't even know when, when yeah. or how many times you've been bit, right? I think that's a very big possibility too. Yeah, and I and I and and I go back with Calzada and he tells me not only ticks carry the disease, fleas, uh bed bugs, some types of bed bugs carry the disease, and you're exposed to them every day. And he tells me, Well, are you convinced now you have Lyme? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, I'm convinced. He tells me, you must start your treatment. Three months of cefexime, uh, Suprax. It's the equivalent in the U.S., Suprax. Su I think Suprax, right? S-U-P-R-A-X, yep. Yeah, that was my initial treatment. And <clears throat> he told me that in those three months, uh, no other medication has to be in my body, only the antibiotics. So I started that with no problem. The first month, no problems. Second month, no problems. Third month, I started to have gastric problems. Uh, started to have uh, a lot of uh, gastritis, a lot of um, pain in my abs, abdomen part. And he told me, you gotta, you have to get uh, proton pump inhibitors to reduce acid and right yes yep and and i started the the treatment but it was a very very harsh treatment on my stomach the good part is at the but that didn't that didn't happen until two months in you said antonio right so were you feeling yeah. better at that mark because now you're two-thirds no, 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 no. i skipped one part one important part okay at the two two week mark of the treatment i started to feel my worst I felt like I was going to die in bed. I couldn't even open my eyes. My body was very uh, tight. And I felt like I, if I weighed a thousand pounds, uh, rash comes in, in my body. A very aggressive rash came out of nowhere. And I go back with Kalsada and he tells me, you have herpes. The Herxheimer reaction. And he told me, you have to feel worse before you get better. It's normal with Spirochets. And I'm, well, okay. The Herx reaction lasted 
about five days, fortunately. And at the two month mark, out of the blue, I open my eyes in the morning, in the morning, and I'm like, I want to go to the gym. I want to go to work. I want to do this and that with a lot of energy. I was this gradual or was, was this like a, was this like a switch being flipped or was this a gradual? And then all of a sudden I, you realized it. I don't remember if it was gradual. It was like from one day to the other. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was bed bound yesterday and I want, I, now I want to go to the gym. And this is after two months of Suprax, correct? Yeah, two months, two months of Suprax. And went back with uh, Dr. Calzada and he told me, well, you're starting to respond very, very good to the treatment. And one thing, the other doctor, the infectious, the infectious disease uh, doctor, he prescribed uh, Doxy. He prescribed two weeks of Doxy. And I told Colsara, well, the other doctor gave me Doxy. Don't do Doxy. Because if you do Doxy, there is no way we're going to kill the bacteria. It's going to come back. And he told me, the bacteria form cysts in your body. Um, they resist. Uh, the biofilms. All the, all the, you know, how do we, they work in your body, the bacteria, you know? How it evades the antibiotic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he told me, don't take Doxy. Trust me on this one. Three months of uh, Subrex. Okay. At the three month mark, uh, he tells me, well, I think you're starting to get into remission. Because he made the test, the uh, microscopic test one more time. And he told me there is no bacteria. At the four-month mark, no bacteria. The fifth-month mark, no bacteria. And you you were off the antibiotics after three months, yeah. and you were going back for blood draws to look at your yeah. blood for the bacteria, and you were coming back, no bacteria every time, correct? Yeah. Okay. And at the fourth, uh, the sixth uh, time I went back with the doctor, he tells me, well, I think you're starting remission. And your case is like unique because Lyme doesn't always behave this way. And he told me that I must have follow-ups each six months. And the last time I saw him, he told me, I think you're starting to get cured. And I was like, you're kidding me. He told me, you responded too fast to the treatment, probably because your body didn't have another approach on the, on the disease. And he told me, you are a unique case. This quick. And I was like, I couldn't believe it because I saw all of these people battling years with Lyme. And I had a lot of doubts and I told him, I've seen on, on the web, on social media, that people battle 
years with Lyme. And they don't feel better on, until 10, 15 years have passed. He told me it's not the same for everyone. And he told me you should be fortunate because when I remarked, you're unique. And when I got those words from the doctor, two days later, I think, is when I contacted you. Because I feel like I felt before Lyme, like when I was 10, 12 years old. Um, when I was battling Lyme, when I had the pods, the, the dysautonomia thing, some thoughts came to my mind and I said, well, traveling's, I cannot travel anymore. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to get uh, a PhD. All my plans I had were broken. And after the news, the good news, uh, I went to Europe with my girlfriend two weeks in the heat. And I was feeling great, like a little boy again. I stood in the sun, long lines, the museums, everything. Things I couldn't believe were happening. And I hope that my remission lasts a long, a very long time. That's my only hope right now. Um, I know a lot of people uh, on social media ask if BioAdvance, the clinic where Dr. Calzada works, is good. I can tell you it's very good. They do a, um, an, a they, first of all, they don't treat you like any other doctor. They believe you. And they analyze all aspects of your life, not the medical aspect. And they're very human about it. So I can tell you it worked for me. I know everybody's different. Everybody's going to have different treatments. But fortunately, I had the answer here in Tijuana. Uh, and, you know, being very close to the border and seeing a lot of cases from California in the in the media, they they are they are all the people try to look for answers in Cali. They don't look to to Mexico. So if you're listening to this and you're being like living in California or anybody any anywhere in the U.S. You should try Tijuana because the 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 approach the doctors have here it's very different, and you 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 can probably have a a very good uh, treatment here and elevate your chances of beating Lyme. You know, you Antonio, know? you on your pre-interview questionnaire that you filled out, you did talk about I believe it was fluconazole right the antifungal when did that come oh, yeah. into play so what, yeah. what, what else was there besides obviously the suprax the three months of antibiotics what other things did you blend in with that if any yeah. so the okay. the antifungal 
I think you also did some bio site and give us like the big picture of what you did, you know, in oh, okay, totality. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the Super X, they, the doctor gave me fluconazole for the Candida. So Candida, it's, you know, I didn't had a lot of uh, Candida symptoms, probably because the fluconazole uh, did its work. But my partner gave me the advice to buy biocidin because biocidin acts not like the antibiotic, but it's uh, it strengthens your immune system. Biocidin, it's very hard to get for people in Mexico because if you don't live close to the border, you cannot get it sent here in Mexico. They only sell it uh, in the U.S., I think. And it's even expensive. though it's all natural, I mean, it's 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 no, there's no drugs. It's an all natural no, substance. No. It, it has like milk thistle, and I yeah, I, everything's natural. And I'm surprised that it's that difficult to get in Mexico that you have to get it through the states if it's just all natural yeah. ingredients. Yeah, yeah, because it's very expensive uh, for for Mexico. You know, uh, our economy is different, so it's about uh, I think hundred and ten dollars. I think. That's an expensive price for a, for a Mexican individual. And also, I started making some research and found that activated charcoal, it's good for the detox, for taking all of the bacteria out of your body and started taking a lot of vitamins, vitamins B complex, D, D vitamin D3, magnesium and what else did I get and when I started treatment with Calsada he advised to take a blend of vitamins they they have there but the and or I think you did some glutathione as well for detox right oh yeah yeah, yeah. glutathione yeah um the glutathione uh was I Injected through my veins uh, intravenously with a with a solution, so that helps you and gives you a lot of energy while you're dealing with uh, with an infection. Also, vitamin C, a lot of vitamin C, <laughs> and I don't know how I managed to get a lot of cans and bottles of vitamins hanging around my room. I was taking about 15 to 16 peel, pills a day in the morning, like five or 10, depending in the afternoon and like five at night. So a lot of pills. Everything was supplements mostly, but I so think- It really wasn't just antibiotics. It was antibiotics for the strong kill, right? The antimicrobial. Yeah. You did glutathione to support detox and open up yeah. open up your drainage pathway so you didn't get clogged up with toxins and die off. You yeah. took a full spectrum of vitamins and magnesium and B, C, D, right? And all of that's helping you support your body and keep things going. The biocidin is huge because, you know, I pulled up some of the ingredients there. The biocidin is known to be a biofilm buster. It's known to strengthen your immune system. It has a ton of natural properties. I mean, it's got bilberry fruit extract, grapeseed extract, shiitake mushrooms for your immune system, golden seal root garlic bulb, white willow bark, milk thistle, as you noted, echinacea. I mean, there's a ton of raspberry fruit, yeah. black walnut, it goes on and on and on. 
So I think you were doing the full spectrum. You were supporting your immune system. You were opening up your, your detox pathways. You were doing things to kill the bacteria. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of doctors on this podcast that share candida can be a huge problem that prevents people from getting better. So the, the you know, the fluconazole is, uh, I'm sorry, the fluconazole, I can never say that correctly, has the ability to reduce the candida in your body and address that. So I think you were hitting it from all angles that you could. And collectively within a three month window, you know, you were one of the lucky ones who had a full recovery, it sounds like. So that, I also wonder if you didn't do all those things, would you have, would you have had the full recovery that you are now experiencing? I really don't think so. If you just did the antibiotics alone, Antonio, I think you wouldn't be where you are today. No, no, because, uh, you know, muscle twitches, the, the neuro effects, uh, they resolve the vitamins, much of those. So if you don't take your vitamins because the bacteria kills the, the vitamins in your body, it drains your nutrients, you must replenish them. Also, the antibiotic kills some of the good bacteria in your body. You got to take a lot of uh, uh, how do you, probiotics, prebiotics. Probiotics, yep. Yeah, and, and those are very expensive to get. <laughs> and, and if you don't get them, you're going to start to have muscle cramps, digestive problems, a lot of symptoms that you you don't want to have when you're being treated with an antibiotic, a strong antibiotic. So uh, bacteria, uh, what I learned from it, it starts like to have a, a mind of its own and it's it does everything to survive in your body. So you have to replenish vitamin B and B12 because that's the vitamin that gets nutrients from the food you eat to your body. You got to establish a mitochondrial um, regeneration approach, a protocol of that. But if I, how do I say it? If I were to take the antibiotic alone, I wouldn't have the, the benefits to be active, have high energy, uh, stop the twitches. No, the antibiotic just kills the bacteria. This is the strong kill, but you have to have nutrients to fight off the Herx reaction also to open the detox pathways and get better soon, sooner than later. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So Tiffany, I, I know I'm I'm totally dominating the conversation. Do you have anything you want to you want to jump in with before I continue on? Um, well, I I kind of wanted to see how you're feeling now. Um, do you feel like you're 100 percent better? Are there some lingering things or any fears that you have? And also with the pots, is that still hanging oh, around? <laughs> that, 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 that's a good question. Uh, I went back to to the cardiologist that diagnosed me with POTS after the treatment. And he says, have you been? It's been a long time since I saw since I saw you here in the office. And I was like, well, just want to tell you that I got Lyme treatment. POTS went away. Oh, wow. Like in one at the one month mark, my my heart rate was normal. Being from 150, 140, I'm now at 70, 80, 60, 65, you know, normal again, disappeared. And, you know, that was like the main obstacle I had because with POTS, you can do a lot of things. You cannot 
do exercise like you used to. You cannot be at a line at the bank or at the grocery store. You, you're very limited. Hypoglycemia resolved. Endocrinologist said, well, I can't explain this. Yes, you can. It was Lyme. Because the endocrinologist says, you probably have like insulinoma. We had a test you for that. We got to screen that. There was no insulinoma. It was all Lyme. Because Lyme eats your nerves. Eats like the, the nerve covering. And starts. you started having those autoimmune disease. And everything went away with the treatment. So I see your, your, your face and you're like, well, it's impressive. It's already impressive for me because it was so fast. I, I really cannot believe it. Everything, everyone at the office, uh, when I when I came, my partner said, well, did it work? Yeah, it worked. And at the time, my partner knew another person that had a, uh, an ill daughter with POTS also. And when he knew that my treatment worked, he sent the the he told the her friends that the dad of the the girl to take her to to treat Lyme and her pots resolved also so what i see is that Lyme can affect you your whole body your nerves your spine that was new for me um in any way you could imagine but everything resolves i think and I'm grateful for it. Uh, uh, no more POTS, no more hypoglycemia, no more dysautonomia, no more restlessness, good sleep, high energy. And about the fears, as with every traumatic event, you have the fear it, may, it might come back. But with uh, therapy, you could uh, lower your your alarm system, your natural alarm system, lower that anxiety. I, I have a good uh, therapist also here in Tijuana, and I'm lucky to find him. He worked with, um, part of his background, he worked with diabetic patients. He worked with, uh, um, how can I say this? He works at a clinic. Like he's very clinically oriented, and that was a, a great advantage because when you when you're dealing with health anxiety and health problems, you have to have a good approach with it. It's not just like the typical oh, uh, conductual beha uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. No, you you gotta go deeper with it. And he gave me a lot of tools. And I'm grateful for it. And if I if I didn't have his support, I couldn't uh, face the future or the aftermath of the disease like I'm seeing it right now. Right now, the aftermath, I don't think every day of Lyme. I go thinking about my objectives, my of work or my personal life, uh, about me being able to eat better, have healthy habits, because you understand after being ill that you gotta eat better. Uh, meat, 
meat is a problem right now because, you know, new allergies come. And the meat allergy is pretty common uh, in Lyme patients. I got the meat allergy. Um, also got sinus allergies that weren't there. And was one that's of my, part of the... I don't know if you remember, Matt, the last time I was on the episode, but prior to Lyme, I kept having sinus infections every single month. Yes. And when you mentioned the strep throat, I think of it kind of like, being very nice. sick. Yeah. 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 And um, just recently I did have a sinus infection. I went to my doctor and I was so upset. This, I guess this is health anxiety. Like, why is this happening? And he's like, what are you talking about? I am so proud of you. You haven't been here in a whole year since your Lyme disease. He was like, you were coming in every single month for sinus infections. So it's so interesting that you say that because I feel like you're the first person that I, I feel like has mentioned that when it comes to the sinuses and the throat, I feel like it's all connected. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's those underlying symptoms when it comes to, to Lyme that nobody even thinks or talks about. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, when you start treating Lyme, many of those allergies or sinus infections start to lower intensity. That's the only thing I got from Lyme that still like bothers me. And it doesn't really bother me at all, but the allergies, seasonal allergies stayed. I never had allergies in my life, but they somehow stayed. So Doctor says I have to keep working on my immune system support for it to be on hold. So, but it's not a like big issue right now. So, uh, I was a teacher before Lyme. I teach audit procedures at college. Had to stop that for Lyme, and out of the blue, when I was better, I have like an invitation from the coordinator at the local college and she told me you want to have like a postgraduate uh a signature and I was like yeah I can teach postgraduate specialist new specialist so it's a new uh activity I have right now that without proper treatment without my skeptical approach without my uh without my how do you protocol without my doctor? I couldn't be where I where I'm right now. Things are starting to smile at me again. Starting to get better. Grateful about it. Um, people that supported me my my brother, my sister, uh, my well, my two brothers, my sister, my girlfriend. You know, my partners. You're just grateful for it because I think. I had a very privileged spot when I got Lyme. It didn't caught me like very, very off guard. And I think that was like an advantage that not everyone has. Certainly, uh, Mexico is a very tough country on that. Not a lot of doctors that are specialized in treating Lyme. We don't, we don't have a lot of them. Uh, I know at the States that you have like the functional doctors, the, the Lyme litter doctors, and they're starting to grow in like numbers. But in Mexico, you don't have that. They're very conservative of the of the ways they're 
they're trained. So that's a big issue right here. The other issue is that Lyme costs as much as in the States, probably. Not the treatment for Lyme, per se, but like the vitamins and everything. Uh, the non-medical approach costs like the same. And if you gave those costs to a Mexican citizen, there would be like no way they could afford it. Um, another thing I see is that no awareness programs for Lyme are being held massively in Mexico. You know, Tick Bootcamp is like a way to get all this info abroad, you know, like in a massive way. But I see nobody in Mexico is doing the same thing. And there's a lot of uh, misinformation. There's a lot of people denying the existence of a, of a, of a real threat, of a possible pandemic, or I don't know. It's, you know, there's a lot of documentaries that we cannot see here in Mexico, like the the, the name of the documentary as well, the, what's the name? Uh, quiet Epidemic? Yeah, yeah, The Quiet Epidemic. You cannot stream it here in Mexico because of copyright rights, copyright things and, and stuff. And, you know, the states have a lot of uh, knowledge of that. And proof of that is that when I had a hypoglycemia attack, in the States, I called 911 and the paramedics knew about POTS, knew about uh, Lyme symptoms and paramedics in Mexico do not know about it. So there are a lot of limitations, even though you're right across the board with San Diego, one of the leading city, cities in the, in the U.S., on the West Coast. There's a big difference in health systems, lifestyle, you know, you name it. Yeah. I, you know, I would, I would comment, Antonio, that the states maybe were a little bit better than Mexico, but, you know, it's a lot of work, right? There's a lot of advocacy groups. And, you know, there's, there's Lyme Disease Mexico, who we follow on social media and have, you know, chatted with offline. And there are some in Mexico, but I think collectively, it's all of us together. Even you, Antonio, being on this podcast, Tiffany coming back and co-hosting several times and helping us bring different perspectives to the Lyme experience. We just had a few weeks ago here, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, has created a new webpage recognizing the chronic persistent symptoms of Lyme disease. And that's huge for our community because so many doctors here in the States think Lyme is easily cured with a short term of antibiotics and anything beyond that is not related to Lyme. Now, you know, we just had about two years ago, the CDC recognized that Lyme disease can be congenital, that a mother can pass it on to their child from uh, from birth as well. All of these things are because of people that are passionate like yourself and like Tiffany, you know, moms who are jumping up and down and doing the research and funding the, and funding the studies to then bring and force the government to change their protocols and standards. So it's happening slowly, but I do feel optimistic that, you know, in the future, we're going to see things continue to change for the better. We're going to get better recognition. I mean, we had Dr. Tim Hasted out of Duke University. He's, I don't know if you guys know him. He followed up on the work of Neil Spector, who passed away. Cancer researchers pivoted to the Lyme community. And just a couple of weeks ago, he came out with this new drug. He has this, this massive technology that basically that screens thousands of drugs at a time to determine which of these drugs can be used to treat Lyme. 
And this one happens to be a very simple compound. It's just two things tethered together. And when put into into you know in, in a test in a test environment, this goes in. The Lyme bacteria sucks it up, and it literally sort of explodes the the bacteria from the inside out. You can actually see photos of this happening. So there's so many things happening out there today that are giving me hope for the future because a lot of people, Antonio, have persistent symptoms. Thank God you're in remission, right? And I and I think you'll stay in remission. But for people that have relapses, for people that are struggling and have spent you know countless money and still are not feeling the best, I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon for us as well. So what do you think about that? I think, um, you know, with news that a vaccine, a vaccine for Lyme might be under development also, there's hope for the end of it or for like the end of the fear of, of a lot of people, you know. Um, with the opening of the Lyme uh, community with the authorities that's being made, you... I can't expect that it will get better in Mexico, talking from my perspective, but not as fast as in the U.S. But that all these advances in medicine and the acceptance of the CDC that Lyme exists will mark a different direction in which medical training will go, you know? Medical training uh, at the colleges, at the hospitals, will take another approach, will take another direction, and they will recognize these symptoms and they will treat them right. Uh, more studies will be made uh, to support all of this. And yes, it's hope. It's tangible hope. It's like when Moses opened up the sea, you know? <laughs> And, and I hope that will get uh, through. And if the U.S., I think, if the U.S. accepts Lyme exists, that it standardizes real treatment, treatments for Lyme, like the real thing, like the months of antibiotics or a new antibiotic, you, know, you name it. I don't know. It will get better in the whole world because the whole world looks up to the states. What are they doing? Europe, what's, what are you doing over there? the big countries, the big economies. So every other country looks up to them. So I think that if the CDC already accepted, many countries will accept it. And the only thing it's the time frame. I would prefer that it would be quicker and later, but you know, medical um, uh, advances take a long time, you know. So, yeah, and I'd also argue that a lot of the things you've learned are just good life practices. So, for example, being able to manage your emotions better by going to therapy, understanding the importance of sleep, understanding the importance of movement and exercise, understanding the importance of diet and how food can impact you and how you feel and create inflammation or create a healing environment. Those are all valuable skills you've learned that are going to help you in your life with all kinds of illnesses, stressors, etc. So, that I think is something I want to make sure we focus on too. Even if we have, you know, this magic bullet cure, which I don't really think is ever going to fully exist for Lyme because generally we're so compromised. It's never just Lyme disease, never just Borrelia burgdorferi, right? You had, you had a co-infection. You may have had other opportunistic viruses and pathogens. So I think these other lifestyle practices that you've adopted are just so important for everybody to learn. 
And maybe I can speak for myself. If I had better lifestyle thing, you know, if I had a better lifestyle before getting sick, although I was a runner, I had a high stress environment. I wasn't sleeping well. My diet was not the best. It was pretty much all carbs. Maybe I wouldn't have been as sick as I was. So I think these are just important skills for us all to learn to live happier, healthier lives in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exercise, good diet, uh, good sleep is crucial uh, because it supports your immune function. You know, immune function, you have a healthy immune system. You won't have uh, uh, immune symptoms like um, your body hurting or something, you know. Exercise reduces, I, I know, I'm not a doctor, but since I've seen a lot of doctors, one thing I learned that exercise reduce, reduces inflammation like a lot. Sleep reduces inflammation a lot. So you have to be relaxed. And if you don't sleep, you cannot be relaxed. It's crucial. If you have a bad diet, you cannot sleep well. So it's crucial to have a good diet. And exercise, I think it was very supportive for me uh, when I was diagnosed with POTS because I noticed that if I exercise in the morning, I felt better in the afternoon. But it was because my body was not being so swollen, no inflammation. Now I understand that. And also, if you eat your greens, you have better chances to fight infections. So definitely better practices, better mindfulness will help you thrive on your healing. And I don't know, maybe, you know, if you had like a recipe and steps to follow, I think many of us would like uh, wish to have that list. Like, well, Antonio, we actually came up with a, with a framework and we have it built out. We haven't really shared it publicly as far as everything in detail, but something that's helped me in my own experience. And, and we've run this by a ton of doctors and researchers. And it's really just from interviewing almost 400 people in the Lyme community, what we think is the best approach to trying to heal. And we call it PARM, P-A-R-M, like, like chicken Parmesan, right? So PARM is your prehab. You want to you want to prehab your body, get yourself ready for treatment. And that means things like simple, like you were describing, diet, maybe some detox, you know, trying to sleep better, all the things like that, you know, mental health, trying to work on your nervous system, just getting ready to treat because treatment can be scary. The herxing can be scary and it can be very devastating in your body and it can be inflammatory from the die off. So the, then the next step after prehab is going to be the assist or the kill phase. We call it assist because you're assisting your immune system in eradicating a wide variety of pathogens, not just Lyme, but everything else that has been making you sick. So the assist phase is antimicrobials like antibiotics, maybe some anti, you know some herbals that are antimicrobial, maybe things like biocidin, which has some antimicrobial properties as well. And that's really more the kill protocols in, in time. And then the R is recovery because the Lyme bacteria does so much damage to your collagen, to your, you know, to your joints, to your nerves. And that's when you really go through the rehab phase of maybe physical therapy. It could be nervous system, you know, it could be continued nervous system regulation, more therapy. It could be, you know, physical and emotional repair from the damage. And then the M is just maintenance. That's living a healthy lifestyle to avoid a relapse. You know, the fear of having a relapse is valid, right? I get, I have fears at times that I'm going to get really sick again. But I just have to remember that I just have to continue to try to follow this model of a healthy lifestyle, low stress, 
And, and, you know, the stress is, is really brutal when it comes to our health. So the maintenance is just doing, making sure you get enough sleep that you're not out partying all night, you're not drinking all night and then going to work. You know, those are the key things for me that I try to put into my life to avoid getting sick again. And, you know, it's been pretty successful in my life. And so what is your thought on that high level framework without going into too much detail about what's under each of those, of those letters in the acronym? Um, you know, having, and I, and I say it again, having like a recipe for wellness, well, Lyme oriented recipe for wellness. It's what every patient of Lyme would have wished for at the beginning. And as you said, you have to prepare for, for healing. You have to prepare your body to resist all the changes that we're going to the, the antibiotics going to make on you. So yeah, if I think if you can have like the steps, a guide for Lyme that would ease everything for any Lyme patient, I think. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I agree with that. So my, my final comment on this is, so we're going to be publishing this in the near future and doing a separate podcast on, on this topic of the PARM formula we've created. But I just also want to encourage people to go. So we interviewed Dr. Marty Ross, who's a really brilliant doctor. And he he did that. He created the recipe for Lyme. It's on his website for free. So he's a treating doctor. He's leading here in the States. And his website is treatlime.net. And he has an online Lyme guide, which, which has a whole step-by-step guide of what to do for Lyme and it evaluates and breaks things down in a simple way to understand. So we've had a lot of guests on this podcast tell us they've had great success using his model and studying him. So we encourage people to check that out and stay tuned for our Parm stuff. But we've had you for quite a while. So I'm going to stop talking. Let let Tiffany, if you have any final concluding questions or thoughts and, and then eventually ask the final question of our of our brilliant guest, Antonio, and then we will end this amazing podcast. Um. No, I, I more so want to make a comment um, because when I was listening to you, I I heard like the challenges that you faced when it came to doctors. And it reminds me of myself of like, you know, I went to the hospital, felt like I was dying, thought I was having a stroke because my face, you know, I had Bell's palsy. Doctors just gave me Tylenol and sent me home, you know, did no blood work, nothing, you know, and then I go see other doctors and they're like, I'm, I'm not sure you just rest maybe rest stress, you know, and then finally, I found a doctor that just decided due to the Bell's palsy to do a a Lyme disease test. But he wasn't even he was like, I don't think it is, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, so I you've dealt with all of these challenges for so long. And then you finally got the answer. And I understand that relief and and how you feel like you could you know what you what, what it is now. And now you could finally heal. So I just wanted to make that comment to know that, you know, you were never alone. It was the same thing for me trying to do research, look online. I feel like there's not enough online, you know, when it comes to Lyme disease and we have to really put it out there and help people become aware of it. And and I love that you created like this recipe, Matt, for for helping people with Lyme kind of go through those steps, because I wish I had seen that. So I know what to do. But you have uh, Matt have with the tick boot camp. I mean, I feel like it's the only thing that I saw online that really yeah. stood out the most, right? Yeah. And um, and Lime Warriors as well. They they were um, very helpful. But you have given us so much knowledge and sharing these stories and he- hearing people such as yourself. Um, and I mean, it's it's it makes me so grateful, you know. And I'm glad you can share this with us. And I understand what you felt, <laughs> your emotions. 
and what it does to you mentally and physically. And I'm glad you're taking the proper steps now to, to continue to live a healthy lifestyle. And I wish you all the best with that. Yeah, Antonio, we can't thank you enough for joining our Tick Bootcamp podcast. This has been a hugely inspirational and powerful podcast. And Tiffany, as always, thank you for coming back to co-host. You are one of our favorite people in this community. So we are so happy to have you back as always. 